0: Eating only raw foods has emerged as a popular dietary trend. Proclaiming an emotive health message, it is enough to make you think twice before next adding heat to your food. But fear not, because on the scales of health, there is little to tip the balance in either direction. In this podcast, I look at the claims made about raw food diets and put these into context for the many health benefits that cooking food offers. Welcome to the Thinking Nutrition podcast. My name is Tim Crow, and I'm a career researcher, educator, and science communicator with most of this spent in the field of nutrition. How do you make sense of so much conflicting information in the field of nutrition? Well, while I don't profess to have all the answers in an area that is continually changing as research changes, you can count on what is covered in this podcast to be based on the whole field of nutrition science, not just selective areas that support a particular way of thinking. And this podcast will always be free from any commercial product tie-ins, endorsements or advertisements, just credible nutrition science presented in plain and simple language and then translating this into what it means for your health. So, on with today's show. Cooking food is something we have done since the first caveman threw a mammoth steak on the fire. While it is true that cooking does cause chemical changes in food and a loss of some nutrients, it is a clear case of being alert and not alarmed. Raw food advocates claim that cooking food destroys the natural enzymes and nutrients that would otherwise give us optimal health and control our body weight. Following a raw food diet means having almost entirely plant-based foods, including fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, vegetable oils, and juices in their natural uncooked state. Now on the pro side... There is a lot of merit to a raw foods diet. If you are currently eating a lot of highly processed food, then switching to raw foods will be a clear nutritional win. Where the science gets murky though, is around claims that raw foods are better because cooking destroys enzymes in plants. Now it is 100% correct that cooking will do this, But so too does digestion. Few enzymes survive the trip through the hydrochloric spa bath that is our stomach. Where there is a small kernel of truth to raw food claims is the nutrient losses from cooking. Yet this is a clear case of being alert, not alarmed. Every time we cook food, there is some degree of nutrient loss. Exposing food to heat, oxygen or light alters the nutrients found in food. But it is not all bad news though, because cooking food also has its advantages. Cooking food can increase its digestibility, meaning you will get more nutrients out of it. So the big question, just how much of the nutrients in food do we lose when we cook it? Well, fortunately, the good people at the United States Department of Agriculture have compiled a detailed table of nutrient losses for 16 vitamins and 8 minerals from 290 foods using a variety of cooking methods. I'll link to this database in the show notes. And for anyone overtly fixated on just what proportion of nutrients they lose when they cook food, this is the best resource you will find on the internet. Here's the summary of all that information though. Most minerals are unaffected by cooking and it is only vitamin C, folate and thiamine that stand out as being the main nutrients lost with cooking. But even then, levels rarely drop by 50%. Losing vitamin C, thiamine and folate from cooking vegetables is easily offset by eating foods that are high in these nutrients to start with and are not normally cooked further. Citrus fruits, for an example, are an excellent source of vitamin C. Leafy green vegetables and avocados are high sources of folate, as too is bread, which is fortified with folic acid. And even the Australian staple of Vegemite is packed with thiamine. And because of fortification, bread contains thiamine too. Putting nutrient losses from cooking into context though, just even storing fruits and vegetables for several days means a gradual loss of vitamin C. Fresh will always be best, but frozen vegetables are certainly an option to consider as they are blanched and frozen very soon after picking, effectively locking in their nutrients for months. Food, though, is much more than just the essential vitamins and minerals. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of bioactive compounds found in plant foods that have favourable health benefits. They can serve as antioxidants and anti-inflammatory agents, and some of them are linked to having anti-cancer and antibacterial roles as well. Cooking losses of these bioactive nutrients are considered very small, And in many cases, cooking can actually increase the amount of some of these substances that you will absorb. Heating food breaks down plant cell walls so they can release more of their nutrients. A good example is from the many studies that have shown that levels of the beneficial antioxidant lycopene, which gives foods like tomatoes their red color, is much higher in cooked tomatoes than in uncooked tomatoes. The reason why is that the heat breaks down the plant's thick cell walls, making more of the nutrients available to absorb. One study from the British Journal of Nutrition found that people who followed a raw food diet had normal levels of vitamin A and relatively high levels of beta carotene, but lower levels of lycopene. So vitamin A, beta carotene and lycopene all belong to the vitamin A family. Then there was the report from the Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry that found that boiling and steaming better preserves antioxidants in carrots, zucchini, and broccoli compared to frying them. In all cases, though, antioxidant levels increased because of the cooking method compared to the raw state of food, and I'll link to this study in the show notes. Though it is not all good news about cooking, as some research shows that some vegetables, such as broccoli, could have better health benefits raw rather than cooked. In this case, heat damages the enzyme myrosinase, which breaks down glucocyanates found in broccoli into a compound called sulforaphane. Now sulforaphane is an anti-cancer compound found in cruciferous vegetables such as broccoli. It appears to have general but potent antioxidant and possibly anti-inflammatory actions, similar to curcumin. What to do about the broccoli dilemma then? To cook or not to cook? The middle ground here is to lightly steam it, so it's cooked but still crunchy, and this seems to minimise sulforaphane losses. With a crisp and tender texture and more flavour, you're likely to eat more of it, and that is what matters the most. So how do you ensure the highest retention of nutrients during cooking? Well, the three keys are water, temperature, and time. As temperature, cooking time, and water volume go up, so too do nutrient losses. If you can, steam rather than boil, as this cuts down on nutrient leaching. Cook at lower temperatures where possible, or use a higher temperature for a shorter period of time. Keep the size of vegetable pieces as large as possible to minimize oxidation losses. And don't overcook food. You want your broccoli firm and green, not wilted and white. Choosing an exclusively raw food diet can potentially put a person at a small disadvantage. When you exclude or cook foods, you also exclude many healthy foods. And the nutrient diversity of your diet narrows. Take the nutrient powerhouses of beans and lentils. When cooked, they are a cornerstone to super healthy vegetarian, Japanese, and Mediterranean style diets. Legume-based diets have many health benefits, including the prevention and management of obesity, reduction in the risk of heart disease and stroke, diabetes, and even metabolic syndrome. And the elephant in the room when it comes to cooking is not what it adds, but what it takes away. Cooking food at 75 degrees Celsius or hotter will kill most bacteria that cause food poisoning. Unquestionably, there are many benefits to eating plenty of fruits and vegetables. These foods are high in nutrients and fiber and low in kilojoules. But is a raw food diet superior to a cooked food diet? Well, a review of 28 research studies found that eaters of both cooked and raw vegetables Both had a lower risk of cancer compared to people who did not eat many vegetables in the first place, and I'll link to this study in the show notes. So this really shows that these foods are good for you no matter how you prepare them, to have them cooked or uncooked. So our biggest health problems in a country like Australia come from eating too much highly processed, nutrient-poor food. Worrying about losing some vitamin C every time you stir, fry, or steam your vegetables fades into insignificance when you consider that most people are not eating enough of these foods in the first place. Less than 7% of us are eating the recommended number of servings of vegetables. So the bottom line becomes to eat your fruits and veggies no matter how they are prepared. If cooking makes them tastier and more palatable, then you are more likely to eat them. That is where the biggest health gains are to be had. So, now onto my research wrap up segment, where I profile a study that has grabbed my attention during the week. And this research is about how exposing children to a wide variety of healthy foods can help instill good eating habits later in their lives. The palatable, energy dense foods that make up our modern food environment can promote unhealthy eating habits. Developing a liking for sweet tastes can mean a rejection of the more sour and bitter tastes, the sort of taste found in many healthy foods such as vegetables. Food tastes are not set in stone, so it is the early stage of life that represents the most fertile time to set these malleable food preferences on the right path. How eating habits can be influenced during early life stages was the focus of a recent narrative review. The research team reviewed 40 studies looking at how infants and young children develop a taste for healthy foods, especially vegetables and fruits, and I'll link to this study in the show notes. The key finding was that repeatedly exposing kids to a variety of healthy foods during pregnancy, infancy, and early childhood predicted better adoption of such foods later on in life. Even during pregnancy, healthy eating is important, as the food flavors can make their way into the uterus, exposing the fetus to those flavors. Breastfeeding also can pass on flavors of healthy foods to the infant. Taken altogether, there is much that can influence an infant's food taste, even before they take their first mouthful of solids. After infancy, the simple process of repeated exposure of the child to healthy foods, even ones they reject initially, can help them develop a taste for those foods. So for parents, if at first you don't succeed, then try, try and try again. Exposure to a variety of healthy foods from the start of a child's life, including during the prenatal period, early milk feeding, and the introduction of complementary foods and beverages can support later acceptance of those foods. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on, if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com.au and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible, evidence-based nutrition messages, while helping to dilute out the crazy, and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.